Welcome to the Small Church Podcast, the podcast for church leaders who want to make a difference in their communities. We're your hosts, Tony Marr and Bruce Montgomery, and we're excited to be with you today. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest trends, strategies, and ideas for effective leadership in small-sized churches. So whether you're a pastor, a ministry leader, or a volunteer, this podcast is for you. Each week, we'll bring you interviews with experienced church leaders who have valuable insights to share. We'll also explore topics like team building, community outreach, spiritual growth, and much more. So if you're looking for practical advice and inspiration to help you lead your church with excellence, you've come to the right place. The Small Church Podcast is brought to you by Higher Ministries. Higher Ministries is an organization that exists to help Christian leaders in the churches they serve through coaching and consulting, all for little or no cost. For more information on Higher Ministries or to find out more about the Small Church Podcast, please visit HigherMinistries.com. Thanks for tuning into this week's edition of the Small Church Podcast. Welcome back to the Small Church Podcast. We're excited to have you with us, choosing to spend some of your time today, whether on your drive or or mowing your lawn or simply just sitting around in your home or your office. We're honored that you've taken time to listen with us today. Uh, this week's a little bit different as we are picking up in part two of our conversation with Pastor Robert Bess. Last week, we were in the middle of our conversation on cultivating change to reach new people, and it was going so great, uh, so well. Robert had so much great insight and knowledge to share that it took way more than the allotted time that we have. So without further ado, we're going to go right back to Robert Bess and the second part of our interview with him. So Robert, we uh, I hear you talking about the the things that can happen when you're implementing change and that that you experienced this, and I think anyone that's ever experienced uh, leading through change, that you're going to encounter resistance. That maybe at the beginning, maybe not until they actually see the implications of the change and how the change has impacted them and their desires and their likes. Um, what are some... What are some ways that 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 you can prepare yourself for the resistance that's going to come uh, with the change that's being made? Well, I think one of the things is is to be aware that change is painful, um, and, and I try to have mercy and and grace for people who who really fight change because all change is painful. We are as human beings, we are creatures of habit and. And routine, and in, in fact, if you're if you're part of a church, one of the things that you've probably noticed is when you come into church, you look for the same seat. People sit in like assigned seats, whatever their seat was last week. They want to sit in the same seat, and it's funny to watch because we're just so we are such creatures of habit that even in our church experience, we will do that. And if somebody sits in some long-established seat, well, there could be some real discomfort there for people because we always want to do, you know, we have these habits and these these routines. We naturally fight change to our routine because our routine makes us comfortable. Our routines give us the illusion that we have some kind of control. But here's the thing about routine. It is the enemy of relationships. Um, you don't want routine in your relationships and in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, routines are not good. I mean, if you're married, just ask any married person, can you just do the same things all the time, the same way and expect their relationship to grow? And the answer is no, you know, things do have to change, but change makes us uncomfortable. 
the 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 church that you know we were at, at 250 and we were running multiple services um now it is it's sadly back down to one service in the church and the the cafe has just been used now as a fellowship hall again because they they wanted their their little routine back they wanted to, to go back to what they had had for such a long time. And so I think it's important to understand going into anything that that change is difficult for people. It's really, really hard for people. And, and I heard it said in one of my psychology classes that change will only occur when the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change. And, and, and that's true in people. It's in human nature. We will continue to do things exactly the same way, expecting the, the same results. But as, as we discussed in our conversation here, you know, the things that we've always done have not been working for a long time. And so change is necessary. So how do we prepare our congregation and our leadership for the change that's going to happen so that we don't find ourselves in that place where we make great change, we're reaching new people, and then because because some people don't like the change that we revert back to the way we were before. You, you, you said earlier in our conversation, you brought up the Israelites um, and, and leaving, uh, leaving Egypt to head to the promised land. I think it's interesting that they're complaining about the life that they've had. You know, they, they've lived for uh, generations under oppression, under slavery, uh, they've had no freedom, they've had no rights, and now they're being led out to this promised land. And it's been maybe two or three days that, that it, and, and I love that, that Exodus 14, I think it is, says that they marched with a boldness out of Egypt, that they're excited, they've got a pep in their step, they they're, can't wait, they finally escaped the oppression, and now they have something of their own own, that change is happening, and it's good, and it's great. But then two to three days into their journey, it says they're wandering around. They've got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got the wilderness uh, all around, and it says they're wandering around, not knowing where to go. And then Pharaoh changes his mind. They see, and he starts coming to get back his workforce, his million people workforce, and they see the, the cloud of smoke that is coming towards them. And they forget everything that God has just delivered them from, and they start to scream at Moses and say, we had it better back then. The way that it was oh, back yeah. then is better than this. And how, how quickly their tune changed from we're excited about this change, we're excited about the way that it is. And even though we were dying before, even though then, uh, it seems like a lot of times, the good old days, we only tend to remember the good and not the fact that they were old and they were dying. And you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, this is just part of human nature that, that we, you know, we, we always want uh, what was, even though it was uncomfortable for them, it was predictable. They, they, their lives were predictable. And so that's just a great example of, you know, at least back there, they're kind of lamenting. At least back there, we knew what to expect. And I, I think people are, as I said, they're, they're afraid of change. Change is uncomfortable. Um, I think one of the important things is, though, in the, in the changes, as you begin to as you begin to succeed in some ways, there, it's kind of remarkable because they're like, just like with the Israelites, there is an excitement that builds and it becomes infectious. It is 
in sport teams, they call it momentum. And, and you begin to, to get some momentum and it changes. If you've seen it in sports or you can see it in business, you can see it in churches too, though, where you begin to build this momentum and the excitement builds and, and that momentum can then help you achieve some, some great things and reach a lot of people. One, one of the best things I think that, that we had going for us at, at that church in Tennessee is that when people would come into the cafe, they were invited by friends to, to come and have a cup of coffee, which everybody is comfortable with. And when they would come into the, the cafe, the very first thing they would say is, wow, I wasn't expecting this. And, and that was exactly the reaction I was looking for because I wanted to disarm people from their, their apprehension. You know, it, it's kind of like if you, if you've ever gone to a restaurant, and you had a bad meal. And, and then, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, somebody says, hey, let's go to this place. And you're like, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't have a good experience there. Let's go someplace else. And that's kind of how churches become, where uh, people, they're expecting their bad experience. So they had a bad church experience, so they never want to go to churches again because they think in their minds it will be exactly like that. And if we're going to reach people, then, then we're going to have to do things to disarm them from the past bad church experience that they've had. And it's something that needs to, to be in your thinking processes is how are people going to react when they walk through that door? What is going to be different that sets us apart from the bad church experience that they've had? And it needs to be, it needs to be discussed. You have to have these ongoing discussions all the time. This is why we're doing this. Not, we're not changing just for change sake, but we're changing because we're trying to reach people for example, who have had bad church experiences, what can you do to reach people that have had bad church experiences? And, and so you, you begin to, to kind of isolate it and identify it and then look for ways to, like I say, bring that apprehension down and disarm them so that they're going, oh, this isn't what I expected. You know, one of, my, one of the things, people are reticent to go to church with, with their relatives because they've done it and they didn't like it. And so we have to do something to mitigate that whole bad experience. Robert, one of the things I want to talk about for a minute with you is we've spent a lot of time talking about some of the incredible things that you did in Tennessee, but you've had ministries in Ohio, in North Carolina. Uh, you haven't been in Tennessee for several years, uh, and, and we've got a lot of people that could be listening to this show right now that are hearing your story and they're saying, oh, that, that was great for you. My church doesn't have an old fellowship hall that we can renovate and create a new venue. My church doesn't have any resources at all to do anything like that. In one of the churches that, that you served, I was amazed at one of the ideas that you shared with me years ago, that the church didn't have the opportunity ability to create a new worship venue, a new service, uh, but you looked around and you saw that they had some land, um, and <laughs> yeah. you came up with an idea uh, to do something that would reach a group of people that weren't coming to the church, that would provide an opportunity for the community, uh, and something that your church would have a heart for uh, and the ability to pull off. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's something that, that um, when my kids were little, when they were growing up, one of the things that we loved to do in fall was, and, and you can find this in places all over the country, they love to go and visit uh, a corn maze. It's basically a cornfield, and they cut a maze through it, and it's fun. Your kids go in there, and they get lost, and they, they have a lot of fun. 
and you, you make your way through the maze and it's just an incredible family experience. But the thing about it is it's kind of expensive and it's gotten even more expensive. I think it's probably between 13 and $15 per person now to go through a corn maze any, almost anywhere. And so we didn't have uh, any way to, to, to be really innovative with our, our church building. It was what it was, and we weren't going to build another structure. But we did have five acres of land that the church sat on, and it's in a very rural part of the, the, the community. And so there were these fields all around us. And they plant different things, different years. They plant soybeans, they plant wheat, they plant corn. And uh, as I saw the man planting his corn and, and I watched the crop come up, I thought, well, what a, what a great opportunity. Maybe he will plant some corn on our property. And I mean, he's got all the equipment and everything. And we'll pay him for the seed or whatever. And then uh, we can actually create a corn maze for our community that will be free. We will invite them to come and we will be a blessing. Even to people that we, we don't know, people that have never been here, we will find a way to, to bless them. And I just thought it was such a great idea. And uh, I pitched the idea, and it's out of the box. And they, at first, they were like, well, no, why would a church want to have a, a corn maze? And I said, because, you know, if you've got a family of five and, and you're on a, a limited income, maybe you can't have this kind of fun with your family, but we can provide a space for them to do that and it won't cost us very much. And so they ended up saying, yeah, which I was surprised by. And uh, I talked with this, this farmer and I, I told him what I wanted to do. And I said, if you'll plant this corn here, you can harvest it, but we're going to cut a maze to it. And he, it was a Christian guy. And he said, I think that's a wonderful idea. And so he planted the corn and, and not even knowing how, though, I had to do a lot of research and I had to have a couple of people who were really good with zero turn mowers and willing to invest the time to cultivate this corn and, and use it as a corn maze. And it was, it was remarkable. We, we advertised it and we ended up getting on the local news uh, because I, you know, they, they heard about it and they wanted to do an interview of this church doing something so totally different. We created a corn maze just for people to, to come and enjoy themselves with. And, uh, we had a big bonfire out by the exit. If you made it through, you got a s'more. I mean, it was, it was fun. We had hundreds and hundreds of people come and visit our, our corn maze. And the whole idea was not that, that we would use this, uh, for any fundraising or, and in fact, somebody said, well, will we take donations? And I said, absolutely not. This is a gift. And, and a gift is a gift. It doesn't cost them anything. And it was just a way of showing the community that we cared about them, regardless of who they were or what their lifestyle was, that we wanted to create a space for them to come and have some fun. And I, I think it was tremendously successful. It ended up actually uh, uh, meeting a, a lot of people and a lot of people actually ended up who weren't part of church ended up becoming part of our church because we were so out of the box thinking new ways to reach new people. Absolutely. Yeah. You gotta, I mean, one of the things that you, that you notice about Jesus is he, when he met with people, they liked him right away because he was, he, he, he was interested in people. And if churches are going to actually have an impact, you're going to have to demonstrate to your community that you're interested in people even people that are different than you, even people that maybe you won't see a, a change in their life, but maybe you had an impact because what these people found was that they found a, a church that cared about them and wanted nothing from them other than to just love them. And many of those people ended up 
calling at different times throughout the year saying, hey, I've got this situation. Is it possible that you could counsel me and my wife are going through a hard time? And the reason they reached out to me was because they knew that we cared. Hmm. And, and so it's an introduction to your community. It lets them know that you care about them, that you don't want anything from them. You want something for them. And, but that's and so a, you have to look for things like that. That's a huge paradigm shift for so many churches and, and leaders that, that we want to do something. If we're going to invest our time and our resources into something, we want to see the immediate impact in butts in the pews and checks in the plate on Sunday morning. And so this idea of we're going to do something to reach new people that might not immediately pay dividends, it may not ever in a way that we will tangibly see, but yet we know that it's impacting that family in a way that that we can't quantify or qualify. Right. And you see this in the New Testament too, where, where Paul says, you know, we don't always see everything. And, you know, Paul said, I, I plant, you know, the seeds and Apollos comes in waters and different people contribute along the way. But but in eternity, it can make a real difference. But, so how but it's do not you, always going to be different. So how do you foster that culture in your church to, to where people can see this doesn't have to immediately equate to numerical growth in our Sunday morning attendance? I think it, it, it happens through the conversations and through teaching. And, and here's the thing about the American Christian, the average American Christian knows way more ab- about scripture, way more about God and discipleship than they actually apply to their lives. And so it's not like we need more information. We don't mo- need more uh, theological teaching, so to speak, which, which a lot of pastors like, and it, it makes you feel like, you know, you're really sharing important information and you are, but what we really need to be is 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 more about our father's business and and what we've ended up doing is teaching discipleship to disciples rather than actually implementing some ways that we can actually put into practice for our lives so it, it is in those conversations and it is in your teaching you always have to kind of reinforce the idea that that we are here for a purpose and that purpose is to worship god and to reach others. And it can't just be, uh, you know, the church investing in people for their own personal growth and gratification. It has to be the church exists here to actually minister to people, to be, you know, to do the things that Jesus was doing. He loved people. And, and if we're going to, if you're going to have influence on somebody, or, you know, with somebody, then you're going to have to buy that influence. And that means you're going to have to invest some time. And it's not just time quoting scripture to people. It's time showing the love of God. You're, you're, uh, uh, the things that you do as a Christian speak much louder than the words you say as a Christian. Yes. Yes. You know, one of the things you said earlier uh, that, that I want to circle back around to is you talked about how a lot of times you would have an idea and through presenting that idea to the people of your church, that it became their idea. And one of the things that, that you you almost wanted them to see your idea as their idea. But a lot of times the people in our church have really great ideas, and they're just either afraid to share those ideas, or uh, they don't even know maybe that they have an idea that would be great for reaching new people. So how important do you think it is that we encourage and empower the people in our churches to contribute their ideas and for them to actively participate in these change initiatives? 
I think a big part of it is you have to be secure in, in who you are. And, and when I was trying to get buy-in, and that's really what we're talking about, and there's a lot of a lot of research, a lot of books you can read about, about buy-in, but when you're doing things as a group, as a collective, like a church, um, you're going to have to have buy-in. You can't just say, when I was in the military, it was different, totally different. You know, I, would, I was in charge. This is my command. We're going to go this way. And everybody had to go that way. You couldn't really, you know, it did, we're, we're there to preserve democracy, not practice it, you know. So <laughs> what you think might not might not matter at all to me. But but in, in an organization like the church, especially when you're dealing with volunteers, you're going to have to have that buy-in. And if your priority is, I want the credit, then you're kind of in the wrong business. It didn't matter to me at all. In fact, I thought it was a little bit funny that people who were opposed to some of my ideas after – they achieved some success. Those people, I would see them, they would bring in their friends and their family and they'd say, yes, look at what we're doing here to reach the people. This is what we've decided to do. Also, they were part of it. And, and part of me would go, well, they were against it the whole time until it started working. But if, if you want credit, then you're in the wrong business. You know, um, the, I, I find the, the victory to me is actually getting people to think that it's their idea. That when I hear them repeating the little phrases and the little things that I'm saying, the important aspects of who we're going to be as a church and what we're going to do, what we value as a group of people seeking to serve Christ. When I when I begin to hear people like saying the same things and repeating the same lines, to me that is, I, I know we're on the verge of something great because you, I invested the time to get them to understand it so much to the point where they've internalized it and now it is theirs. Now it's their vision. And and that's fine. That's great because a collective vision is really what you're striving for. I don't want to, I don't want to convince people that I'm right. I want us all to be right together. So then how important is it to celebrate together the successes, the milestones along uh, the road, uh, along the journey? I, I think it's really, really critical that you do, and even even the small victories, even things that that have made a difference in somebody else's life, it, it, that's worth celebrating. Because, like, like you said a while ago, and you were talking about how um, it, it, at times, you know, it, it can be very, very challenging and very, very difficult. But when you begin to see real life change in in people, that that they are moving in a different direction because of the the influence and the guidance and the and the love and support that you provided them, there, there's just nothing more, there's nothing more satisfying in life than that. You know that you you actually change somebody's, help change somebody's destiny or their life for the better. That is worth celebrating, and it's important that we take the time to do that because, like you said, when we we're talking about the Israelites and they begin to look back and they're thinking, oh, well, we had it so much. At least there we knew what to expect. You know that 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 idea that we can, and and we forget all of the bad things. And, and that's why nostalgia is such a powerful emotion. And most people are, especially older Christians, they're nostalgic for what they had. I still get some older Christians that will say, well, we need to go and knock on doors. Well, this is not a world where you knock on people's doors anymore. You know, or let's have a one church I was at. They wanted to have a, a revival out in the middle of the field. They wanted to set a tent up in a field. So, so that we could go have a revival outside in the field like they used to when they were kids. And while it might be nostalgic for them, why would we leave an air-conditioned building with running water to go <laughs> set out in the middle of the field? It just – it wasn't nostalgic for me, you see. But nostalgia is a very powerful emotion. 
Sure. And so people are nostalgic for, for things that they've, they've experienced and they forget the bad and they just remember the good. And so it's important that you have those good things to remember and, and remind yourself of. And so celebrating those things is a big part of that. So Robert, with a little bit of time that we have left, we're going to, we're going to get personal for a minute. And, uh, I didn't intend on going here, but you brought it up. So it's all your fault. So okay, you, uh, you were at a church that you took the the position at the church, and, and you said that your first Sunday there, 16, 17 people, you led through some great change that saw this church grow from 16, 17 people to several hundred people, uh, become the the largest or maybe second largest church in your little community that you were in over the course of time reaching new people, uh, leading new people to Christ on a regular basis, seeing real life change happen, being the kind of church that I think so many of our listeners dream about. But then it went wrong. Then there was conflict within the leadership. They didn't like the change that they saw because it didn't look like the church that, that they grew up in. You ended up leaving that church to go to another church um, because of the conflict that was happening there and, and the, the, I guess, differing of opinions and directions on what should go. All of the change that was implemented was reverted. Um, to go back to our Exodus 14 analogy, the Israelites went back to Egypt, and now the church is a, a third of where it was when, when you left. In your leadership position that you're in right now, in the congregation that you're serving at right now, what what lessons do you take from your past experiences in leading through change? What could you have done differently to maybe prepare your leadership then for what was happening? Um, and what lessons would you take from past situations to help you in your leadership in your in your church that you're at now? Well, I, th- I think one of the things that I've learned along the way, because I've encountered this, this type of scenario where you come into a church that's desperate, and desperate people will pretty much agree to, to, to change. Like I said, when, when, when the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change, you'll go ahead and change. And so a lot of the churches that, that I've ministered in, they were in desperate need of, of change or, or death. And so... Um, I think I think one of the things to understand is that a lo- especially a long established church, a church that has been around for you know seventy five or hundred years, um, it's going to take m- many many more conversations and heart to heart, and you're going to actually have to get buy in um, on a much deeper level. And even then, I think even then it's still going to be hard. Um, now that doesn't mean that, that I, I don't keep doing it. I mean, here's the thing. I remember somebody told me once, if you want everybody to like you, you know, get an ice cream truck and start selling ice cream. If, if that's important to you, don't be a pastor because not everybody's going to like you. And I think one of the things that, that it takes to be entrepreneurial in, in, in your church approach is the understanding that it's, it's not just about you it's not about your ego. I, I never, I never sought to become famous or, or you know, get any accolades from from what I've done. I, I reveled in the fact that I believe that the kingdom of God was growing, and and that has to be your focus. 
And, and even so, though, if, if it's a long-established church, even though at first when they say, yes, we're willing to do anything, they will for a while, but then once the church gets to a comfortable level again, you have to continue to have those conversations over and over about why we're doing what we do, because reaching people is the most important thing. And uh, so I think it really just comes with with conversations and, and the investment of time with, with those who you, you can actually see the 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 emotion and and the change of 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 uh, feeling within church members and when they begin to um, resent the the growth because you're bringing in new people and like I said it gets really 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 messy and then they begin to long for the good old days and when when you see that attitude raise its head that that's just kind of like a signal to you that you need to invest more time trying to help people see that what you're doing is important enough to to be uncomfortable for a little while. Mm. Yeah, that's great. If you had the opportunity to sit down with one of our listeners or two of our listeners or 10 of our listeners uh, that are hearing your words, hearing your stories, your 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 expertise and your advice and they're saying, "Okay, I am ready to take some of the steps necessary to begin to initiate impactful change." in my community, in my congregation. What would you say to them are the qualities and mindset that they need to have as they prepare to lead change effectively? I think understanding, uh, as, as I said, how difficult change is for people. And people in a desperate situation will uh, allow a certain amount of change. But if, if you're going to do that, then the investment is for the long haul because while desperation is an emotion that, that people will have at a certain period of time, at some point, because we are all human beings, nostalgia will begin to, to raise its head too. And that's another, very, as I said, very powerful emotion. It moves people to, uh, to really doggedly fight for, for their, their opinions. And because we are individuals with different opinions and different worldviews and different histories, um, having being able to have those conversations um, is, is of primary importance because you're going to have to work through these things. You're going to have to understand each other, and, and it's a give and take process. It's it's kind of like when I do marriage counseling with with people when they come to me and they say, "Hey, we want to get married," and I say, "Okay, let me teach you a word that you're going to have to, you know, embrace, and that is compromise. You know, we have to compromise. You're not going to get everything you want." Um, and you're going to have to give up some things. If, if you want a successful relationship with people, with, with your church, with your church leaders, then you're going to have to learn to compromise. And so there are plenty of areas where we can reach consensus and we can, we can compromise. But then there are other areas where, when it comes to matters of theology, where we, those are essential and we have to be in agreement about those. But it all comes from a lot of conversations, really. That's great. Robert, as we're closing up our time, any last words that you would want to say uh, to our listeners on uh, church leadership, anything that maybe we didn't address that's completely off topic of where we were going today that, that you would love to say to a small church pastor out there listening uh, that's wanting desperately to see uh, an impact in their community and in their lives? I, I would say that it's worth it, that, that even with you know, uh, I've had some some successes and I've had some setbacks and I've I've been hurt uh, by people, but it's still it's still worth it. I mean, after all, we're in the life change business and it's worth it. 
um, like I said, Paul, he was willing to be uncomfortable. And, and if that's, if, if you want to really see people reach for Christ and then, then you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I know that that's a sacrifice and that's not going to, that's not going to make everybody go, Oh yeah, I want to sign up for that. But when you realize the impact that you're having it is so worth it. And, and if you can introduce somebody or reintroduce somebody to, to Christ because they've had a bad experience with church in the past and you can create in them and this idea that it's not always going to be that way. That, that is, that is so hopeful and so life changing and it's so worth it to invest your life. And I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. Well, Robert, thank you so much for your time. And I think those closing comments were very well spoken and very well said, and even more importantly, very true. We want to thank you all for listening to the Small Church Podcast this week. Uh, next week, we will have our co-host, Bruce Montgomery, back from vacation with his family in Florida. And so we look forward to hearing back from him. Uh, again, just want to express... Uh, sincerest thanks to Pastor Robert Bess for hanging out with us for a little while here today, sharing some great insights with us on what it means to lead through change. If you would like more information on how you can lead your church through change, visit higherministries.com, reach out to us on any social media platforms, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, be sure to subscribe to the Small Church Podcast on any of the platforms that you listen to. And we look forward to hearing from you and talking to you again next week. Thanks again. Have a great week.